Our Bible reading this morning is in two parts. Our first part is found in Mark chapter 7, and I'm using the New Living Translation Bible. So chapter 7, verses 31 through to 37. Jesus left Tyre and went to Sidon, and then back to the Sea of Galilee in the region of the Ten Towns. A deaf man with speech impediment was brought to him, and the people begged Jesus to lay his hands on the man to heal him. Jesus led him to a private place away from the crowd. He put his fingers into the man's ears, and then spitting into his own fingers, he touched the man's tongue with the spittle. And looking up to heaven, he sighed and commanded, be open. Instantly the man could hear perfectly and speak plainly. Jesus told the crowd not to tell anyone, but the more he told them not to, the more they spread the news. For they were completely amazed again and again, they said, everything he does is wonderful. He even heals those who are deaf and mute. And from chapter 8, verses 10 through to 30, Immediately after this, he got into a boat with his disciples and crossed over the region of Dalthusa. When the pharaohs heard that Jesus had arrived, <coughs> they came to argue with him, testing him to see if he was from God. They demanded, give us a miraculous sign from heaven to prove yourself. When he heard this, he sighed deeply and said, why do you people keep demanding a miraculous sign? I assure you I will not give this generation any such sign. So he got back into the boat and left them, and he crossed to the other side of the lake. But the disciples discovered they had forgotten to bring any food, so there was only one loaf of bread with them in the boat. As they were crossing the lake, Jesus warned them, Beware of the yeast of the pharaohs and of Herod. They decided he was, he was saying this because they hadn't bought any bread. Jesus knew what they were thinking, so he said, Why are you so worried about having no food? Won't you ever learn or understand? Are your hearts too hard to take it in? You have eyes, can't you see? You have ears, can't you hear? Don't you remember anything at all? What about the 5,000 men I fed with five loaves of bread? How many baskets of leftovers did you pick up afterwards? 12, they said. And when I fed the 4,000 with seven loaves, how many large baskets of leftovers did you pick up? Seven, they said. Don't you understand even yet, he asked them. When they arrived at Bethsaida, some people brought a blind man to Jesus and they begged him to touch and heal the man. Jesus took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the village. Then spitting on the man's eyes, he laid his hands on him and asked, Can you see anything now? The man looked around. Yes, he said, I see people. I can't see them very clearly. They look like trees walking around. And then Jesus placed his hands over the man's eyes again. And as the man started, instant sight started instantly, his sight was completely restored. 
and he could see everything clearly. Jesus sent him home saying, don't go back into the village on your way home. Jesus and his disciples left Galilee and went up to the village of Caesarea Philippi. And as they were walking along, he asked them, what do people say? Who do people say I am? Well, they replied, some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, others say you are one of the other prophets. And then Jesus asked, who do you say I am? And Peter replied, you are the Messiah. But Jesus warned them not to tell anyone about him. Some years ago when there were still $2 notes around, if you can remember that, a visually impaired person told of going into a cafe and, uh, with his guide dog and ordering a milkshake. At that time, milkshakes only cost 50 cents. He handed the proprietor a $5 note. Now, thinking that the blind person couldn't feel the difference between a $5 note and a $2 note, the shopkeeper only handed him a $1.50 change. And as he did so, he said, you know, we don't get very many uh, blind people with their guide dogs coming in here. I can believe that, the customer said, when you charge $3.50 for a milkshake. But I've always been amazed at how visually impaired people have learned to cope with their disability. In the church I pastored in Adelaide, there were at least three visually impaired people in the congregation and on visiting them, it was just amazed me, uh, watching them move around their house, selecting the best china for a cup of tea, finding things in the cupboard, pouring the tea and all of that. I often wondered how I would cope with a disability like that. Another occasion, there was a, uh, a blind couple with whom we also had contact in Adelaide. They lived quite independently on their own. And I can remember on one occasion, I was asked to drive them to a particular meeting. And as we were going along, she uh, said to me, look, turn at the street after next, and I, it'll be the third house on the left. And she was right. Many people have learned to cope amazingly well with their handicap, while others uh, have difficulty coming to terms with it. And the encounter with Jesus that we're considering today is one Jesus had with a blind man. However, I believe that Jesus was doing more than simply helping this blind person. He wanted to teach his disciples a lesson. And he wants to you and he wants me to learn something as well from this encounter. The passage that Keith read for us gives the context of this encounter. It began with Mark telling how Jesus healed a deaf man. He then fed a large crowd of people. Then he crossed the Sea of Galilee with his disciples. And on the way, he tried to instruct them on being on guard to the evil influence of the Pharisees and of King Herod. And he used the symbol of yeast uh, to, uh, to describe it. But the disciples' minds were, were quite taken up with what they thought was a far more pressing problem 
they'd forgotten to bring any food with them except for a loaf of bread. And so we become aware of the disciples' failure to grasp that with Jesus on board, their wants were fully taken care of. Here were disciples who'd already spent many weeks and months with Jesus. They'd seen him perform numerous miracles and yet they hadn't grasped who he was. So it's no wonder he asked them, don't you know or understand even yet? Are your hearts hardened? Do you have eyes and fail to see and ears and fail to hear? Keep those words in mind because they become an important part of the story. Of course, the answer to Jesus' question was clearly, they don't understand yet. They don't understand who he is. At this stage, they appear to be completely blinded to the reality that they were in the boat with the promised Messiah. They hadn't obviously grasped as yet that this one who was with them, who walked on the sea, who stilled the storm, who fed large crowds, who healed lepers, who gave hearing and speech to deaf. These were opportunities for them to understand his power and its source. But it seems that they have come no closer to understanding who he is. They're still confused by it all. They had eyes, but they had not grasped what they'd seen. They had ears, but they had not understood. It's interesting to note that Jesus had just healed a deaf man. He was about to heal a blind man. And so Mark places these questions to the disciples about blindness and deafness between these two incidents. Do you have eyes? And fail to see, and ears, but fail to hear. This leaves us in little doubt that the disciples were meant to learn something from these events. He wanted these miracles, and particularly the miracle with the blind man, to be a real eye-opener. On arriving at the seaside village of Bethsaida, Jesus is met by some fellows who brought their blind mate with them. Stories have been going around about Jesus and his healing powers and obviously they wanted Jesus to come to touch their friend, to restore his sight. We're told they begged Jesus to do so. I gain the impression that this blind man was a reluctant participant because on other occasions the blind people either cried out or, or came seeking Jesus' healing. But here, it's the friends. Perhaps in passing we should say, I wonder if his, these friends provide a picture for us about how we can do something for our friends. Bringing them to Jesus. Bringing members of our family to Jesus in inter intercessory prayer. Pleading with Jesus on behalf of these people for their salvation, for their restoration, for their spiritual growth. Perhaps this is something that we can commit ourselves to in praying for our friends. But the story begins quite normally, but the longer it goes, the stranger it becomes. 
Jesus and his disciples came to, to Bethsaida. Friends are brought uh, the blind man to him. And at this moment, Jesus did what any of us would do in this situation. Jesus takes him by the hand, leads him out of the city, spits in his eyes and touches him. We all know that that's exactly what we would do if we wanted to heal somebody, isn't it? Oddly enough, this is not the first time Jesus has done this. In the passage that Keith read, how he stuck his fingers in the deaf man's ears and then proceeded to touch his tongue with his saliva. I think in the ancient world, there was some supposed healing understood in spittle. The idea of spitting in someone's eyes might repulse us. But then in verse 23, Jesus says something that's rather surprising. He says to the man, do you see anything? Well, how could he? Somebody just spat in his eyes. <laughs> do you see anything? It's not a question that we expect Jesus to ask, is it? We'd expect him to make some authoritative statement and saying, you're healed. But Jesus asks the man, do you see anything? As much as to say, did the miracle work? To me, that question anticipates, uh, suggests that Jesus didn't anticipate complete restoration with the first action. Because in response to Jesus' question, the man said he could only see things very indistinctly. He could only see them like people like trees walking. But after a second touch, he had 20-20 vision. He was able to see clearly and distinctly. I mean, this is the only time recorded that Jesus did a healing in, a, in two stages. Why did he do it? Well, perhaps for us, it, it seems unclear. Certainly, it wasn't because this was a difficult case. But friends, I see this healing, as this two-stage healing, as a sign and as a message to the disciples. Jesus wanted it to be an acted parable. For even at this stage of his ministry, the disciples were still unclear and uncertain about who Jesus was, about his true identity. And in writing this story, Mark chooses and locates the healings of the deaf man and the blind man with great care. He puts them right here at the very centre of the gospel that he is writing. Just as he did with the deaf and blind men, Jesus wanted to lead his disciples by the hand to the point where their spiritual sight and their spiritual understanding of him would be much clearer. The 12 had been with Jesus for many months. They'd shared in his daily life. They'd witnessed some amazing events. The sick being healed, the dead raised, storms calmed, demons exercised. From their own meagre resources, they'd seen and, and delivered food to, to large crowds. They'd seen, they'd done all of this, but they failed to see the full significance of these events. They fail to see the signs pointing beyond the event to the one who performed them. 
Yes, in the synagogues they'd learned from the Old Testament that there were things that the coming Messiah could, would do. But having spent this time with Jesus, they hadn't yet put two and two together. They had eyes, but they failed to see, and ears, but they failed to hear. And so Mark places his, this incident in his gospel as a picture of Jesus' struggle to get his disciples to see anything. This two-stage healing is placed between two examples of the disciples' blindness. The incident in the boat regarding no bread and later the question that Jesus is going to ask them about his identity. Mark considers the physical healing of blindness provides a picture of the disciples' spiritual sight. Their understanding did not come instantly. It came gradually and with difficulty. They needed a second touch and many more touches from the hand of the master. Because as we read on, the next incident that Mark records is the question that Jesus asked the disciples. Who do people say that I am? Who do you say that I am? And Peter speaks for the twelve when he says, you are the Christ, you are the coming Messiah, you are the one that we anticipate. Aha, at last it seems that these blind and deaf disciples are slowly and finally beginning to see and to express the truth about which Jesus they hadn't understood before. But it was only the beginning. Light was only beginning to dawn. The reality wasn't yet clear. This moment, did the disciples know that Jesus was the Messiah? Yes, they declared it. And what an amazing moment it is when they finally get the point that Jesus is the Messiah. We see the blindness lifted and they finally begin to see but let me ask you, do they understand what kind of Messiah he is? Not at all. That's clear from Peter's open rebuke that soon follows. When we come to the end of verse 23, we realise that the disciples may know that Jesus is the Messiah, but they don't have a clue as to what kind of Messiah he is. In other words, the disciples finally see who Jesus is, but they do not see him clearly. They only see him like trees walking. They hadn't yet seen what being the Messiah meant because Jesus, uh, Peter rebukes Jesus when Jesus said that he would suffer and die. The disciples were only beginning to realise that Jesus was the Messiah, but they hadn't yet grasped what was involved. At this stage, their understanding was only partial. It was like trees walking. This story is literally at the very centre of the Gospel of Mark. It's there because it's the hinge on the rest of the story. The entire Gospel of Mark swings on it. The point of the story is simply the disciples at the, are at a stage where they see Jesus for who he is, 
but they do not see him clearly. So why do you think Jesus tells them not to tell anyone about him? It's because the last thing Jesus wants is the disciples going from town to town spreading a shallow and unclear and an unclear uh, picture of who he was. He knows that they see, but they do not see clearly. The last thing he wants them is to go out and to share with people an unclear picture of Jesus, their idea of Jesus, not the real Jesus. Just like the blind man from Bethsaida, yes, they're beginning to see, but they do not see clearly yet. Their spiritual understanding wouldn't come in instantly. It would only come gradually as Jesus pointed out that he must suffer, that he must die, that he would be raised to life again. They needed a second touch and a third touch and probably many more touches before they could see clearly. That's why I believe this two-stage healing took place, why Mark recorded it at this point in his Gospel. He not only wanted to tell about the blind man and his two-stage healing, he wanted his readers to understand also about the gradually opening of the eyes of his disciples. Yes, they had some spiritual vision, but it needed to be sharpened. And that would be an ongoing process in their lives as Jesus continued to teach them and lead them to maturity what had already begun. They needed the second touch, the third touch, and many more. But friends, it's not only the disciples. It's not only the first readers of Mark's Gospel. But it's people like you and me in 2023. Many of us, I believe, need a second touch. And this encounter with Jesus underlines that. When Paul wrote his letter to the Christians in the church at Ephesus, he was writing to young, young Christians. These were people who had heard and understood about Jesus, they'd responded in faith. But in his prayer in chapter 1 of Ephesians, he says he's praying for them that they will come to know Jesus better, that their spiritual vision would be sharpened. And so he prays that every believer should see certain things. Listen to his prayer. I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, his incomparably great power for us who believe. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. Now, of course, you know and I know that our eyes are in our head, not in our heart. Our heart is there as, as a pump, to pump blood around the body. But for the ancients, the heart was the seat of the whole personality. It's an idea that we still carry over when we tell somebody that we love them with our whole heart. We don't say, I love you with all my pump, do we? Rather, I love you with all my being. And so Paul is praying that those believers then and believers like you and me today will have a better spiritual vision. 
that our spiritual eyesight will be sharpened so that we'll discern three things better, our Christian hope, what it means to be, for us to be God's inheritance and that we might realise the power that Christ is available to us. In other words, Paul is saying you don't need more truth or new truth or better truth. We simply need our spiritual eyes opened to grasp the truth that surrounds us. We need a second, or perhaps a 50-second touch from the Lord. It seems to me that this encounter, that we're close encounter that we're considering today, of this two-stage healing of the blind man, is as much an example for you and me. It's an example in the physical sphere of what Paul seeks for all Christians that the eyes of our heart might be enlightened, that we might know the hope to which we have called, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, his incomparably great power for us who believe. As believers, you and I have already some spiritual sight when we responded to the gospel, and I'm sure that that has developed, but this side of heaven we need to realise that we won't have 2020 vision on all of these truths. Only when we reach heaven, then, till then, we need to regularly pray those words, open my eyes that I may see wonderful things in your law. And that's what Paul is praying in Ephesians 1, that the believer's eyes will continually be open to grasp at all that God has for them in Christ. It's something that we can pray for our fellow church members, for those in our connect group, for those in our family, for ourselves. Praying that each of us will have a second or even a 50 second touch from the Lord. So what is there in this for us? Praying that our eyes, your eyes, my eyes, our spiritual eyes might be open to see and to know and to understand spiritual truth in a more significant way. Not only know these things, but also for them to become evident in our lives. And what were those truths that Paul wants us to see? Firstly, that each of us might have a better understanding of where we're going. He calls it the hope to which we are called. That we might have the certainty and the assurance that this world is not all that there is that there is, there is, that death is not a terminus, that there are certainties beyond that we do not yet possess. The Christian's hope is the hope of, in death, of communion with Christ. It is the hope of getting home safely. It is the hope of resurrection of the believer. It's the confidence of being acquitted at the judgment seat. It's the assurance of being with Christ forever. Friends, have you got 2020 vision on that truth? The second aspect of the prayer is that we might each see more clearly who we are in Christ. That we might realise that we're Christ's treasures. That our identity is not in our genealogy or in our job, 
but our identity is found in who we are in Christ, that we are worth more to him than the universe, that we are his inheritance, and that's what gives us hope, the hope of heaven. Paul wants us to see clearly that the God who called us will not fail us now or in eternity. And finally, Paul prays that we will know God's power at work in our lives. From the hope ahead, Paul turns to the power behind the promise. He's aware that we have to live our Christian lives confronted by the challenges of living in Melbourne in 2023. The resources we need to do that are available. There is mighty power in God, supernatural power. Power for the present, power directed towards the betterment of believers. It's the power that was demonstrated when God raised Jesus Christ from the dead. He wants our eyes to be open to see that power available, working in our lives now. That his power is power for living, that it's power for loving, that it's power for enduring, that it's power for overcoming, that it's power for relationships, that it's power for ministry and service. Have you got perfect vision on that yet? I haven't. I need another touch and I'm sure many of us do. So Paul prays that believers like you and me will see and understand these truths more clearly. That our eyes will be open to know what we have and who we are because we are united to Christ. I guess as we look at each of these wonderful truths, our destiny, our value, our power, we know them. But as with the blind man, they may still be like trees walking. We haven't yet got full focus. So let's pray for our Christian brothers and sisters. But specifically and regularly, let's pray for two or three people that this year they'll have a second or a 50-second touch from the Lord and so gain a a clearer vision of these precious truths. While we're praying for others, let's pray for ourselves too. Let 2023 be an eye-opening experience for each one of us. Let us pray. Father, we thank you that your word is truth. We thank you that your word is as relevant today as it was when it was written. That just as Mark wanted his readers to understand who Jesus was, to have a clearer vision of him and his might and his power and his majesty. So our God, our prayer would be that we too will come to a deeper appreciation, to a deeper understanding, that our eyes might be opened to enter into the experience that you have for us as your children. We commit ourselves to you in Jesus' name. Amen.